Good morning. I'm Jeremy, and I'm I'm really excited to see what God has to say to you this morning. I'm excited to be able to serve God in Mongolia. Um, he's doing a lot of things there. It's a great time. It's a great time to be in service to the King, whether I'm in Mongolia or whether I'm here in this room with you. Um, I just want to ask real quickly for, uh, for Jesus' help. Let's pray. Jesus, you were so good at listening to the Father's heart and of acting out His purpose. Jesus, we want to be like you and we need your help. Help us to become like you so that we too can, can hear the Father's heart so that we too have the courage to act out His purpose. Teach us, Lord, and mold us. In Your name we pray. Amen. If you are a follower of Jesus, you know that there are amazing riches spiritual riches as well as physical riches to hear about uh, the healing that Pastor Paul has experienced just in the last week. There are amazing riches in Christ. But if you follow Christ, you also know that there are going to be some significant hardships. (laughs) We know what Jesus went through, so if we follow Him, uh, we need to prepare ourselves for what he's going to ask us to go through. And we're going to go way back to the beginning this morning and see where it started with Abraham in Genesis 15. Uh, How it started in my life was when God came to me, kind of like he came to Abraham, and he gave me some promises. And he said, Jeremy... I love you and I want to draw you into my word and I want to make you a pillar in the community in Mongolia. And I was like, what was that last part? I didn't quite catch that. (laughs) In Mongolia. Did you say Mongolia? (laughs) Because I like the first part. I like the love, I like the word, I like the strength. I'm just not too sure about the last part, the Mongolia part. Our family has been in Mongolia for the last 10 years or so. Um, that's most of us. We've even added one since then. Is it, do you have the next picture? There's, there we are. All of us. Go ahead into the next picture too, to Mongolia. For our first seven years, we were working uh, in Mongolian communities with Kama Services. Kama is the relief and development branch of Alliance Missions. I I personally like to think of us as the special forces of Alliance Missions because we go into some really tough spots, but I'm a little biased. We go uh, after natural disasters like tsunamis or in uh, 
with the Syrian refugee situation, um, or countries that are politically just completely closed to missionaries. And we send a lot, a lot of comma workers. Mongolia is not a closed, or technically it's not closed or extremely dangerous, but it is a tough place. We've been in Mongolia 10 years. Our first seven years we were in central Mongolia, and you can see those, uh, those buildings there represent different project centers and Mongolian churches that have been started on the Mongolian field. Uh, and most of our teammates there uh, continue to serve there, and all of those ministries are supported by the Great Commission Fund. Kama Services is a little bit separate from the Great Commission Fund, and we led a small team, two other couples, way over here to this little red X in western Mongolia. Mongolia is almost the size of Alaska, so basically that's a long ways, seven, eight hundred miles. Uh, and it's been pretty challenging because we're working with a completely different people group. Um, we are working with the Kazakhs, like in Kazakhstan. And as in Central Asia, you find a lot of nomadic people groups that don't seem to fit into the political boundaries very well. Well, the Kazakhs are a people group. You'll find Kazakhs in Kazakhstan, of course. A lot of Kazakhs in Western China. And then Kazakhs are the largest ethnic group, minority group, in Mongolia. Most of them are focused in the western two provinces where we are. And Kazakhs, though their worldview and lifestyle are similar to Mongolians, are also very distinct. Uh, their clothes are different. These are not my pajamas. This is a Kazakh robe. Their clothes are different. Their food is different. Their culture is different. Their language is different. Another language. Uh, their religious background is different. Whereas Mongolians tend to be a Tibetan Buddhist, Kazakhs are Muslim. So a lot of new challenges in the last two or three years, and we've been able to start several uh, community projects among the Kazakh groups, uh, as well as a house church. I'm going to be able to show a lot more pictures and tell more stories tonight. Uh, and if you have questions, I really would love to see you there tonight and to share more about my family and how we got there and, and what we're doing. Uh, but I really want to highlight uh, the church that has been started this year. Two years ago when we got there, uh, among the Kazakh people, in our province we only knew of two believers, a mother and her daughter. Uh, it's been, why I say it's so exciting is because since we moved there, uh, another church planter from Kazakhstan has moved to the same area where we're in, and we've been able to kind of coordinate and to pray with him every single week. Since we got there two years ago, we've received the complete Kazakh Bible. I have one on the back table there, too. I hope you'll stop by and look at um, And over these last two years, between Bolat... Uh, and ourselves, we've been able to start at least three, maybe four Kazakh fellowships with over 30 Kazakh believers. It's been an amazing start. Um, on Valentine's weekend of this year, we baptized 12 
New Kazakh believers. I'm going to share a little bit more about that on Tuesday night. Not just about church planting, but uh, how we are reaching Muslims in our neighborhood. And maybe there will be some principles about how we can reach our neighbors here as well. It's been absolutely amazing, the projects and the, the ministries that we've started among a fairly resistant, completely unreached people group. It astounds me how good it's been. And at the same time, it's been extremely difficult. Uh, about December and into January, I remember about six weeks when our whole team, we were basically sick the entire time. Kind of take turns. And then by the time it got around to the last person, it would start all over again. Sick all the time. Um, our teammates experienced uh, a miscarriage. The local mosque issued a warning not to associate with the foreigners or to take part in Christian studies. Marriages were threatened. I remember spending one night at midnight, I went over to a disciple's home who was having another domestic dispute and he finally, he finally left. Uh, and she pulled out this little package she had hidden away. It was uh, a bunch of her hair that he had pulled out on several occasions. Our own marriages were worn pretty thin, so were our kids. Our daughter especially was exhibiting a lot more behavioral issues than normal. We were tired, and it, I don't know if you know this, but Mongolia gets very, very cold for a long, long time. It was just a really, really hard year, but it was so good. Sometimes I don't understand how those things go together, which is why we're going back to Abraham. And I want you to kind of journey back in your minds with me uh, how this mission all started. It starts with God, of course, in the Garden of Eden. As soon as the man and the wife broke their relationship with God, he started pursuing them. Immediate. I mean, mission starts with God. Uh, up until Abraham, right before Abraham, we see the, uh, the scattering of all the people groups from the Tower of Babel. God scatters them this time. And then he begins something new with Abraham. Ralph Winter always says the Bible starts in Genesis 12. Everything before that is just kind of introduction. Because in Genesis 12, God begins to implement his plan. His plan to redeem broken people through his chosen people. Through Abraham, who he chooses in, in Genesis 12. Let me give you a little background before we get to 15, where Abraham is receiving those promises again. Because Abraham receives this call to leave everything he knows 
and to go someplace that God's going to show him. And God promises to make him into a great nation and to bless him so that he will become a blessing to all the families of the earth. All of those families that were just scattered everywhere, Abraham is going to become the blessing to reach all of them. So he does. He leaves everything. And he goes. And he goes. And he goes. We're going to find him in in chapter 15, ten years later. He still does not have any children. (laughs) He still does not have any property that he could call his own. In fact, ten years, and he's really struggling to see anything that God promised him. He's seen a lot of hardship, though. <laughs> he just got finished with a battle. His, uh, his nephew was hanging out with the wrong people and got into a jam, and they were, they were taken, they were kidnapped. So Abraham had to gather some folks, and he went out and fought. Fought for his nephew and fought for these cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham was fighting for them, even though he didn't really like them very much. (laughs) And he just got done with this exhausting battle. And we find him in a very depressed state. Let's read Genesis 15 together. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own child shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens. Number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall inherit it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. This is the part where the ominous music starts to play in the background and you grab the hand of the person next to you. (laughs) What's going to happen next? This is the part where God starts adding some fine print to his promise. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. 
and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your reward will be very great. I'm pretty sure that God was trying to rile Abram up right here. Abram is very polite. He's, he's a very good believer. He's nice. He's like, but God, don't you remember? <laughs> you haven't, uh, I haven't had any children yet. And all I have is Eliezer here from Damascus to help me. But then Abram starts getting a little bit upset. And I think God is intentionally trying to get him upset so that he'll talk about what's in his heart. I think God is using his name. In Mongolian and Kazakh, in a lot of traditional cultures, the names always have meanings. So, like, uh, Altengul means gold flower. Or uh, Jean Bolat means uh, iron will or iron spirit. Well, Abram means exalted father. And Eliezer, his servant's name, means God helps. So I think it's actually fairly comic because Abram, exalted father, is depressed because he has no children. And he's relying on God helps because God is not helping. And God is deliberately saying, Hey, here I am. How you doing, exalted father? I'm going to give you some great rewards. And Abram finally opens up. He starts polite, but then he starts accusing. God, I'm childless. You have not given me a child. You promised. Ten years ago, you promised. I'm 85 now. <laughs> Still waiting. I didn't come here for fame and fortune. I gave all that back up. I gave it all up when I left. I'm not here to have a good reputation. I'm not here to get a bigger TV or a three-car garage. It's, I'm not here for that. I'm here because you promised me a child. It's what I want more than anything. That's why I listen. That's why I came. a child in a home to raise him in. That's what you lured me out here for with those promises. In Kazakh culture, again, in any traditional culture, 
They have such a value for children um, in an extreme sense. Our Kazakh community is uh, probably the most dysfunctional place I've ever been. Uh, when, when Kazakhs are married, it's more a marriage between families than it is between the couple. As the parents get really involved and the parents stay involved, and there's a lot of pressure immediately to start having children. To such a degree that after a year, parents will start complaining. After two years, I would not be surprised if the Kazakh parents began advising their son to get rid of that bride and to go find another one who's going to bear children. It is that dysfunctional. You've had two years, no kids. Abraham's standing ten years, no kids. He's 85, no kids. This is extremely important, and we know that time and time again by how embarrassed, even a sense of curse that was upon people who did not have any children. Kazakhs understand that. Another thing they understand very well because they don't have it is land. Kazakhs are traditionally nomadic. In Mongolia, even though they've lived in Mongolia for over a hundred years, Mongolia is not their home. They're Kazakhs living in Mongolia. And it doesn't matter how many generations will go by, Mongolia will not be their home. Every day, it's a painful reminder and even a curse on their identity to be a homeless people, a migrant people, living in someone else's land. I think reproduction and rule two strong values you find in every traditional culture. And I think it's because it is deeply rooted in our hearts from Genesis 1. When God created a man and a woman, and how did He bless them? Multiply and fill the earth. It's what I created you to do. Multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Make homes for yourselves. Make nations. Reproduce and rule. Multiply and make a home. Build a family and a foundation. These are deep purposes that God has placed in our heart. And God comes to Abraham and He says, Okay, okay, (laughs) calm down. I know, Abram. I promised you good things. I promised you exactly what I knew that you needed. Come with me. And he takes Abram outside and he says, look at the stars. (laughs) You're asking me for a child. I'm going to give you so many children you can't even count them all. I'm going to bless you with children so much that the whole world with all of their instruments, cannot even count how many children you're going to have. He says, not only that, but don't forget the other part of my promise. Land. Everything you see, look that way. As far as you can, look that way. As far as you can. 
I'm giving it all, everything you see, to your children. And then God adds some fine print. You always got to watch the fine print. He says, and all of those children that I'm about to give you are going to become homeless migrant workers afflicted for the next 400 years. And Abram is kind of like, what was that last part? (laughs) I didn't catch that. I don't want to catch that. I've been praying my whole life for children. And now you're saying that the children that I'm going to have are going to suffer for the next 400 years. And then they're going to come back to this land that you've given them and it's going to be chock full of other people. (laughs) They're going to have ten other neighboring tribes and none of them are going to welcome the Israelites back. They're going to have to fight for every inch of the land that God has already given them. That's some pretty significant fine print. And Abraham, I'm guessing, was a bit surprised. Really, it's not that surprising if you really think about what blessing is. Not just to have blessing, but to be the blessing. I think of it in terms of, like if I were to go to my teammate, Larry, Larry Lane is running a fitness club in our community. He's doing CrossFit with young men. I don't know if you've ever been to a CrossFit workout. But I go through his warm-ups and I'm absolutely exhausted. He is tough. And if I were to go to Larry and say, Larry, I really want to be strong, he'd say, All right. I want you to do this many pull-ups this many push-ups, this many sit-ups, we're going to do some timed activities. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be really strong by tomorrow. (laughs) He said, no, that's just this morning's workout. (laughs) It's going to be really, really hard to become strong. If I were to go to Marvin, Marvin Pittman is leading our water well project. And to say, Marvin, my family... Uh, to be in good health, we really need clean water. Can you help us make a water well in our home? He would say, sure, we have all the, the materials and equipment. Here's a length of pipe and we'll weld the points on it for you. Here's the hand pump that's ready to go. You just need to beat it in the ground right here. And so I'll take his equipment and we, beat these, we drive the wells by hand. So I'll work on it for a couple of minutes. And he'll pat me on the back and say, that was really good. I think that's probably almost an inch right there, only about 24 more feet to go. (laughs) And once you got that in the ground, then I'll have to teach you how to take your pump apart to make sure the suction cups are working properly, how to replace them, how to keep it from freezing when it's in the minus 30s for three months. And all these things that you're going to have to do to keep that producing clean water for your family it's going to be really, really hard. (laughs) It's no surprise then if we go to God and we say, God, I really want to be blessed. 
God says, okay, I will bless you. I'll bless you if that's what you want. And it's going to be really, really hard. Because not only am I going to give you blessing, but I'm going to make you my blessing to all the families of the earth. And it's not going to be easy. It never has been easy. As Abram learned very well. What is God doing? God gave Abram's children 400 years of practice in becoming homeless, hardworking, and humiliated. I kind of think it was because he wanted them to become a people, humble, servant-minded people who are willing to go wherever he asked them to go. He gave them 400 years of practice in doing that, and honestly, it didn't work. We find time and time again, as recorded in the Old Testament, the Israelites were always willing to take God's blessing, but they were almost never willing to become His blessing. Not until Jesus. Jesus, the only Messiah, came to fulfill everything that God had promised. Every word that had ever been given to every prophet, Jesus came to fulfill. Jesus used a little bit different vocabulary. Instead of uh, talking about children, and a great nation. He used terms like make disciples and preach the kingdom. Jesus came to establish a spiritual reality that led into a physical reality because the Israelites had been stuck for thousands of years. John the Baptist tried to deal with it. He says, You call yourselves children of Abraham. You call yourselves his descendants. But I have to tell you (laughs) that God's wrath is coming and you'll be chopped down and burned because you are not Abraham's children. You may be his descendants by blood, but you are not his children by faith. Abraham was a child of God by faith. You are not children of faith. So Jesus had to use different vocabulary. Instead of using children, which could so easily be misinterpreted as bloodline, he made it disciples. Make disciples, reproduce, bear spiritual children, and preach the kingdom. The kingdom is coming. It is being established in our very midst. It is coming with power. See, Israel took the blessing without becoming the blessing. Islam takes the blessing without becoming the blessing. It's really interesting. Most religious people in the world today claim Abraham as their father. 
Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, talking maybe four billion people, claim Abraham as their father. Israel claims Abraham as their father through Isaac. Ishmael, uh, Islam claims Abraham as their father through Ishmael. How do you claim Abraham as your father? Are you Jewish? Are you Arabic? Do you have any connection to Abraham whatsoever? We do not. (laughs) Physically, we do not. But we claim Abraham as our father because Jesus fulfilled Abraham's promises and made them available to us. And we are now Abraham's children by faith in what Christ did for us and in us. And we must not, we must not take the blessing without becoming the blessing. We are heirs. We are heirs of everything that was promised to Abraham. I hope that you look at this story as you can picture Abraham receiving these words as hard as some of them were. And I hope that you can see that the promises that God gave to him that day are your promises. You are children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. These are your promises. Promises and a purpose that can change the world. (laughs) The only promises and purpose that can change the world. See, you were made to multiply. You were made to multiply physically through Adam. You were made to multiply spiritually through Christ. You were made to multiply. It makes sense then that the greatest joys that we experience in life come from what? Marriage and children. The things that we were intended to do bring us the greatest joy. We were made for marriage and having children. And what Jesus does as he leads and establishes a spiritual reality that leads into the physical reality is he takes these promises and he gives them to us and fulfills them in us spiritually. You were made to make disciples. You were made to reproduce spiritually. It's what you were made to do in Christ. And it is the very thing that will bring you the greatest joy spiritually. I gave you a list of hard things that we've experienced this year. I have never had, I have never been as joyful, as fulfilled in my life as I have this past year, celebrating Christmas among a brand new people group for the first time, baptizing 12 new believers on Valentine's weekend. I have never experienced that much joy 
amidst that much hardship. <laughs> that makes sense too. I mean, since when have marriage and children ever been easy? It's the hardest thing in, in the world and yet the most joy-filled thing. We were also made to live in the kingdom. To experience the authority as Jesus sends us out and gives us authority. Heal sicknesses. Cast out demons. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. Go, minister from the spirit into the physical. Exercise the authority and the righteousness that you have in this kingdom of Christ to redeem resources and fight oppression. Everything that you see, look as far as you can that way. Look as far as you can that way. It is all yours. That's the promise. <laughs> I have intended you to reproduce and everything you see is yours. Bind it. Loose it. Free it. Heal it. And as you do, <laughs> remember that every step, every day, is probably going to be a fight. It's not going to be easy. We need to stop measuring our blessing by how much safety we enjoy and start measuring our blessing by how much we risk for lost people. The very first thing God says to Abram, Abram, fear not, I'm your shield. But Lord, I'm blessed. What, what do I need a shield for? <laughs> I, I don't want a shield. I am blessing you. Here is your shield. You're going to need it. <laughs> Missions is not safe. God's purpose, God's plan to redeem a broken world is not safe. This last week in Guinea, we had some African trainers working on a, a delegation to do Ebola training in some villages. Um, but the villages misunderstood or distrusted. The eight people on that delegation were killed. Story of another comma worker working with the Syrian refugees. In uh, some really tough refugee camps as well as even in the church one day he heard gunfire in the neighborhood and he barely made it to his car and out of the city it's going to be hard but it's going to be good this quote by Mario Murillo you are a child of God that means that to do anything below what you were created to do will bore you your supernatural origin and the legacy of triumph that makes up the Christian faith demands that you do something great with your life. 
I want to give you two challenges this year. The first challenge is what what our team did a, a year ago. A very simple challenge. Let's uh, let's make disciples. I challenge you to make two disciples this year. On our team, the guys on our team, Larry, Marvin, and I, we said, okay, we're each we're each going to make three male disciples this year. And we didn't make it. <laughs> I made I made two, and Larry made two. Uh, I was working with Oscar together. Uh, we were building experimental rocket stoves. I worked with him every day for a month. Got to know his family and his situation. Asanka, I worked with him uh, adding a, an addition onto our office. Larry was good friends with a man named uh, Jarkhan. And Jarkhan's brother moved into town for several months as his wife was preparing to give birth. And these four men, as we began discipling them, they brought their families. And over a period of several months, accepted Christ and we baptized 12 people on Valentine's weekend. Amazing, amazing stories. Full of hardship and full of joy. Make two disciples this year. The other challenge is to support someone like me making disciples in a really hard place. I always feel a little bit guilty when I come and speak in churches here because I have all of you to reach McHenry and these surrounding neighborhoods. I have all of you to do that for me. You only have me (laughs) to reach Mongolia. And it's hard. And I need your help. I need you to be giving. I need you to be praying. The beautiful thing about this kingdom that we are a part of is that you can exercise spiritual authority and you can accomplish things all the way around the world for the glory of Christ. By praying here, you can free people there. And the world is in such need of prayer right now. Ebola outbreaks, refugee situations, droughts, addictions, failing marriages, whole people groups like the Kazakhs who have no promises from God. None. They've never heard or expect God to do anything for them. And no gospel. No hope of their situation ever being changed. A lot of broken people need your spiritual gifts. But even more than that, they need your spiritual authority. They need you to live the kingdom. To exercise the kingdom. They need you to fight for them. Among our dysfunctional... (laughs) minority Kazakh people group, they grow up fighting for every scrap that they can get. 
Nobody helps them. Nobody ever fights for them. You have opportunities to pray and to fight for these people every single day. And not just in Mongolia, but really the ice across all of Central Asia is cracking. And seeds like our Kazakh house church are sprouting up all across Central Asia. And it's such a key time because these brand new believers among these unreached people groups, they're so fragile. <laughs> so fragile. Like my friend Oscar, who I mentioned, his parents died when he was seven. He started smoking at eight, dropped out of school at nine. When he went on his year of mandatory military service, he was probably 18. He came back home and his uncle has sold all their family properties and moved away. He didn't even have his passport or any of his documents. His brothers beat him. He's viewed as cursed by the community, so nobody wants to help him. No one has ever, ever fought for Oscar's life or his heart. Asuka, <laughs> along with all these other brand new believers, they need you to pray, to cover them, because they are trying to heal from decades, from generations of brokenness among their people. Mm-hmm. Now is the time for us to give and to go and to pray. Mm-hmm. I would like to invite you tonight I'm going to show a lot more pictures of Mongolia and tell a lot more stories about what we're doing there Tuesday night I'm going to speak specifically about uh, how we're reaching Muslims in our neighborhood Uh, and I really hope that you'll come and ask questions uh, and share some of your own examples but I'd like to leave you as we go with a blessing don't, don't be scared. It's, it's going to be a nice blessing. <laughs> Go to the places that God will show you this week. May the Lord craft you into His great people, holding on to His great promises, with a great reputation. May He bless those neighbors who bless you and deal Himself with those who don't. And in you, in you, May all of the families of the earth be blessed. Amen. Thanks.